This is Don't Panic, episode number five, recorded July 16th, 2013, on missing cameras, blocked users, and crashed hangouts. Right, this is Don't Panic, the ultimate show on the internet for things about technology. I'm Sean Jennings. I'm Colby Rabideau. I'm Dan Miller. One day we're going to get that down pat, sorry. We're much better than we usually are. I'll give us credit. Um, And I am not coming from a remote bunker. Right before the show started, my computer imploded, so I'm broadcasting from my iPhone for this show. Um, Because we're all about technology here. Um, We want to thank everyone out there for joining us. As usual, we do this show live at about 11 p.m., though we're a little late today, every Tuesday. Um, You can watch live at our new URL, don'tpanic.io, and it's don'tpanic.io slash live. Is that correct? Slash live.html. .html. Because, again, we're into the tech stuff. You know, yeah, that, that hypertext is really important with the markup and the language and everything. The whole, mm-hmm. all four letters, you got to have them. Don't do HTML, it won't work. Um, so please listen live there um, and comment as well. Uh, today's show is a slightly different approach. Last week we went more tech. This week uh, we're going to go... Uh-oh. <laughs> I can't hear Sean at all. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all you viewers. This I'm sure there's a so yeah, technology. Um, <laughs> the internet. This is, this is this is particularly hilarious because we just finished talking about how Sean was going to drive this episode because <laughs> Dan and I were completely unprepared. So I guess I'll just stand sit here alone and and monologue a bit. Uh, oh, Sean's face is back. Now he's doing weird stuff. Still can't hear him, though. It might be better this way. I'm not sure, like... What? So, apparently, Dan muted Sean or blocked him or something, and now he's stuck. I don't understand. All right, so now it's actually just me. John, I can't hear you. <laughs> Can you hear me now? <laughs> Sean, Sean's back! Yay! Well, oh my god, I'm hearing myself in my ear. <laughs> oh my god, that's really annoying. Um... Yeah, this is, I, I don't think, think this is going to work permanently. Um, apparently, Dan muted me and then blocked me and then kicked himself out. <laughs> I have to, to talk slowly because I'm what? hearing myself in my ear. Okay, I'm taking that out. Um, yeah, so apparently, so I'm actually doing the audio on the other channel, um, but I can't, even if I call out and call back in on the phone, I'm still muted. I think Dan went right. Tried to sabotage the, tried to sabotage the podcast. Oh, 
Dan just said, it doesn't matter apparently because I blocked one of you. Google says I am permanently banned. He wants me to invite him at a different email. Oh. Riveting stuff, two viewers. Yes, indeed. Whoa. This is a whole new perspective on Sean Jennings. Good news. The camera on my actual camera is working again. And I don't hear myself in my ears, so I don't sound like an idiot. So, Dan. Thank goodness. <laughs> Way to ruin everything, Dan. What, what did you do? Uh, it's a long story, but basically I had the live stream open in the background, and I thought that Sean's other account was doing some crazy stuff. And so I tried to mute it, but it didn't work. So then I pressed the one to the right of it, which is ignore. And then it popped up his dialog box, and I clicked OK without reading it, which blocked him, which then kicked me out of the chat because I can't be in something with a blocked person, which then prevented me from rejoining because it's not the same as blocking someone on Google+. Plus. It's specific to each session. So I couldn't unblock him because I couldn't rejoin. But I couldn't rejoin because I was still blocked. I banned myself from the show. Well, that was fascinating. Good job, Dan. I, thanks. I hope I didn't totally ruin everything. I see you have a sweet setup now, though, Sean. This is one of the other angles. We'll, we'll go with this one. Nice. Well, well, I'll get it working for next week. Um, do you think we should start doing the show, or should we just keep goofing around? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's up to you guys. I don't want to make the decisions for the group. I mean, I, I can keep like, like spouting buzzwords, like. And I can keep. <laughs> Is that what you have been doing? Yeah, I was just talking. I was literally just sitting here, either saying profanity because I knew no one could hear me, or just shouting "Dan" at the top of my lungs. <laughs> Dan! What do you mean no one can hear you? No, I was muted that whole time you were gone. I uh, muted you? Yes, you yeah. muted me. And because you left, no one could unmute me. <laughs> so I actually had to hang up on the phone because that's where you muted me on that version. Yeah. You you literally, you left me and Colby, Colby by himself and me just doing whatever on the video. So, Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm well, sorry. I, I think we should get started. <laughs> yes, yes. I will edit that down to something uh, quite hilarious. So. Uh, <laughs> I'll include a little bit of that in the final version. A little bonus. Um, but with that being said, let's create a smooth edit point by saying... So on today's show, we're taking a different <laughs> approach than we did last week. Last week was very developer-focused. It was very uh, tech-heavy focused. And this week, uh, I'm taking over. These two guys had their fun last week. I sat there. I twiddled my thumbs. Oh, APIs. No. <laughs> this, week, this week, we're turning it around because this week, our main chunk of stories, we're focusing on entertainment and technology and where the two intersect, because a lot has been in the news recently as it is over time, but we decided to pick a couple of stories from the last couple of weeks and talk about uh, what the entertainment industry is doing with technology. And this first story um, actually is really interesting to me. 
especially when I read this, and also because right now I'm in the middle of reading um, a book about the history of ESPN, which actually I highly recommend, uh, called ESPN, Those Guys Have All the Fun. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, but it talks a lot about how ESPN is sort of a uh, leader in technology. They were one of the first to go with HD. They were one of the first to go all digital. Um, they were also one of the first to go 3D. It was three years ago that ESPN, along with the World Cup, launched their 3D channel. And everyone said 3D is the future, uh, especially when it comes to sports. Well, it was announced uh, earlier this week that ESPN was shutting down their 3D channel after three years due to, quote, a limited consumer adoption of 3D services to the home. Uh, I'll send this over to Colby. Uh, does that surprise you at all? No. Okay. Care to elaborate on that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think 3D in most of its forms now is pretty gimmicky and stupid. So, I don't but know. Do you think Maybe... there's any practical application for the technology? Um, I don't know. It's it's pretty unpleasant. Like, I don't want to sit on my couch and wear glasses. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe 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 there is, but I I've also never seen sports in 3D, so maybe that's cool. But I saw Pacific Rim in IMAX 3D, which was like billed as like the next thing since Avatar to be like, oh my gosh, 3D's the future. But it, I don't feel like it really added anything. It was... <laughs> it, it certainly didn't make the movie any less lackluster. <laughs> I think what bums me out the most is that um, sports is a technology frontier. Yeah. You go from everything to the first and ten yellow line on a uh, football field to... Where does HD look best in sports? Where was slow-mo invented? Sports. Where was instant replay technology? Sports. All these technologies started in sports and became widespread. And when it came to HD, people said, well, why do I need HD? My TV looks fine now. And then when they saw sports in HD, they finally realized how cool it could be. And when I first heard ESPN was going into 3D, I said, this is what will legitimize it. And they will be, finally, somebody who understands what 3D can be. And I think there is a future for 3D in the same way there's a future for a lot of these technologies we kind of dismiss. Um, I just don't know if now is the time. I don't mm. think enough t new TVs are in homes that actually have 3D. I'd love to know the penetration numbers because I cannot imagine they're very high. Um, and I don't think there's enough 3D content. ESPN was only doing a hand... They did the World Cup, and they've done a handful of events since in 3D. Um, they, I don't even know what they were airing on the channel um, yeah. as far as content. That's probably, like, the classic chicken and egg problem. Like, no one has it, but there's no nothing to watch, so why would anyone get it? Um, and I, I, think, and I, I think it'd be cool if you didn't have to use the glasses. Like, if I could watch 3D without these things on my face, like just sitting in the living room, that'd be awesome. But until then, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out so 3% uh, of households have a 3D TV, but less than 1.5% actually use it. That's, and I'm reading right here, it says that uh, ESPN 3D had well under 1 million paying subscribers. Now, by comparison, uh, you know, regular ESPN probably has, uh, to this point, 75 to 100 million. Um, so it, it wasn't in very many homes, and considering the number that actually had 3D TVs, I mean, I'm not surprised um, that that's the case. 
you know, it, and it even says right here that um, 36 films were released in 3D last year. That's down from about 20% from their peak in 2011. So even 3D wow. movies are down. That's good. That's heartening, actually. So, <laughs> I'm glad to learn that. <laughs> so I, I think it's just a little uh, overhype and overexposure. And, you know, wouldn't surprise me if the same thing happened when 4K comes around and people are going to be big into it for a couple years. It'll have a lull and then it'll pick back up. I don't think 3D is going anywhere. I don't think it's going away. Uh, especially not in movies, but I think it'll be a while before we see it in television. Because no one wants to watch, you know, Parks and Recreation in 3D. Are you sure? Imagine <laughs> the Antiques Roadshow in 3D. <laughs> or Pawn oh my... Stars. Oh my gosh. That's what I really need. That's what my life's been missing. Chum Lee is popping out of the screen at you. <laughs> Go watch <laughs> it! Oh my god, how dangerous. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, yeah. but it's, I don't even think 3D is good enough for that, though, because even now it's just kind of like there's the movie, and then there's, like, just a couple levels of, like, flat stuff, you know? It's not like here's, like, a treasure chest, and it has all these little divots that are clearly distinctly three-dimensional and stuff like that. Yeah. It is yeah, the thing that gets me about that. Like when you go to a three D movie, is like there are there are usually like one or two moments in the movie where it's like, whoa, that was awesome. But then the rest of the movie, it's just the same for the most part. Yeah, they engineer so, these scenes. Like I don't even know if it's happened in Pacific Rim, but I'm pretty sure that you know there's like a giant like freight ship that comes tumbling down at the camera and then you know, like someone catches it and it's like okay that that was like that was a hat tip to the people who paid extra to see it and 3D <laughs> right. indeed well indeed. and i i think that's ultimately what the problem is is that it's just it's too early and it's too expensive a 200 million dollar blockbuster can afford to do good 3D but can antiques roadshow you know, when, when it becomes cheap and ubiquitous enough like HD, it, the question is why not? Um, and until we say why not, why would you? So, goodbye to ESPN 3D, but hello to, uh, that was my attempt at a segue, uh, which I blew by saying it was a segue, to uh, Voodoo disc-to-digital home ultraviolet conversion. That's right. Uh, Walmart, who owns Voodoo, uh, announced this service... Gosh, it seems like a year or so ago. Wait, Walmart owns Voodoo? Yes, they bought them several Crap. several years ago. Yes, and they announced a service where you could go into the store with your DVDs and hand them to the person at the photo counter, and by paying a fee for each DVD, they would take and quote-unquote convert it to an ultraviolet digital copy that you could then access on any ultraviolet-enabled uh, device. Mm. Um, for a small fee per disc, whether it be Blu-ray or DVD with prices depending. However, uh, they have just announced a public beta for Windows and Mac to allow you to do that same service at home. You put the disc in your computer drive, and on your own computer at home, it will rip the disc into an ultraviolet video that then you can access anywhere. The rates for this um, come down to uh, a Blu-ray costs $2, a standard definition DVD costs $2, and a high-definition DVD costs $5. What? What's How that? does that make Is any that sense? Is that the HD DVD, like the short-lived HD DVD, or like... 
No, 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 no. It's just they can upload the DVD in two quality levels. Oh, so they upconvert it. Okay, so it says here, going from a DVD to a standard definition copy will run you $2, while upgrading to HD is $5. Oh, Blu-ray oh, HD see. is also $2. I see. So, so I wonder if they're, if they're upsampling it, or if it's like iTunes Match, and you import your songs, and they just give you the highest quality. Like, like I wonder, so like if I, if I take my... A very rare movie, Battlestar Galactica, the plan on DVD. Stick it in this thing, and say I want it in HD. Even though I don't have it in HD, do they? Do I upload that, and does it convert it on their servers, or do they just say, "Here you go. Here's the pre-converted one that we had in the warehouse." That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, why would they? Why would they upload it? Um, in this article, it does not specifically say, so yeah. I, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I agree, I think uploading yeah. it wouldn't make any sense. Either way, though, that's awesome. I'm all for that. So you're in favor, so, so, uh, what, what are your, so you're in favor? Um, yeah, I mean, that one, the price is totally reasonable. Um, I think, like, two bucks, like, that's, that's fine. And then, like, I have, I wish this had happened a week ago when I still had time to, like, like copy all the movies I have at home, and I'm am not gonna take with me when I move to California tomorrow. So I don't know, man. I don't know. That's cool though. Yeah, I mean, I I think being in the home is just the big advantage here in this announcement. I mean, I would never take a stack of DVDs into a Walmart yeah. and hand them to the lady at the photo counter. You right. know. <laughs> um, <laughs> what but I think things the... can Voodoo play on? Um, Voodoo, well, it uses the ultraviolet technology, which means it plays on more than just Voodoo. But could I stream all the movies that I have converted from Voodoo to my devices? Yes. Well, I know. Andro awesome. iOS, yeah. Android, PCs. Um, the Flickster app has ultraviolet. A lot of other apps have ultraviolet built in. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, think, um, I think Voodoo's on... Um, Roku, Xbox, and PS, yep. PlayStation 2. They're and on most services. It's on the boxy, I know that. Yep, and because it's ultraviolet, the idea behind ultraviolet is it's supposed to be a um, sort of open standard of sorts, um, but it's just uh, an idea is that all the movie companies will use it as a way to digitally store the movies you own. Um, so by using that, it's going to be available across a lot of different apps and a lot of different devices. That's your advantage to using ultraviolet. So, good option that is in uh, a public beta right now, so if you want to give it a shot, check it out. They actually are running a deal um, as part of the launch of the public beta, and their first conversion is free, and if you are willing to convert 10 or more movies, you get a 50% discount. Hmm. So, get one for free. It's not a bad deal. Give it a shot. See if you like it. That's cool. Uh, maybe I'll have to do that and report back next week. Um, <clears throat> so, can we... Can we address the uh, the elephant in the room, which is why is this better or easier than uh, torrenting all your movies that you have sitting over there? Uh, I'm I'm willing to make the argument as to why it's better. Okay, I can too. Um, low price and convenience. So, for example, and I don't want to sound like I'm a great person, but I am. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to watch the new episodes of Top Gear. 
because I'm a huge fan and I cannot wait when new ones come out. And they're airing new episodes now, but obviously it's on the BBC. So I can't just go and watch them. Now, most people I know torrent them. They come out, one of the most torrented shows on the internet. Okay? I instead, because Amazon makes the episodes available for purchase at $1.99 an episode, there aren't a lot of them, and I love the show so much, I pay $1.99 an episode to watch them right after they air. Because the price is reasonable and it's very convenient to do so. When it comes to movies, the fact that, assuming you buy a new release DVD, and I don't know anyone who buys DVDs, so that might be the problem right there, but even if it's $9.99, to throw an extra $2 on there, to have a digital copy anywhere that is easy to use and comes in a regular, understood, safe format, to me, is absolutely worth it and is the exact parallel to the $0.99 cent song model iTunes did when it came out. When people the, didn't the difference is, is that you don't end up with this digital file on your hard drive, right? Right, that's true. You can cache it locally, but it's yeah. DRM'd and you don't you don't I have mean, a that's copy. That's true, but like at the same time, I feel like for most people, that's a plus. Like they don't have to have it on their hard drive. You know? Yeah, that's, I agree. I mean, that's a plus for me. I, I I have this MacBook Air. I don't have any external storage. Plus, you have the DVD. You know, it's not like you're buying... If anything, I would say this is a bonus over buying just a digital version on something like iTunes. Because you do have the physical DVD, and if you want to rip a copy to your hard drive, you absolutely can. Um, what they've done is they've made it so I don't have to make 14 sizes of the file, one for my phone, one for my tablet, one for my computer. I don't have to worry about storing it. I just think that the, the price is right, and now that you can do it in your home, the convenience factor is there. So I, I give props. I... I I have no problem torrenting, but uh, um, you know, make make it affordable, make it easy, and I'm happy to pay. Be careful, That's... Sean. You don't know who's listening. Nobody, Colby. <laughs> Nobody. To Tom's listening, and he pointed out that most Blu-rays come with a digital copy, anyways. An so, ultraviolet so... copy. Right, right, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So you you wouldn't even have to pay the two dollars in that case. Assuming you're buying Blu-rays, yeah. Yeah. So. Thanks, chat room. Yeah, yeah, I, I got to, so what is this? It's don'tpanic.io slash live.html. Yeah. Okay. And, oh, look, there's a little streaming window. And, oh, I need, I got it. I have a nickname? Don't on that. <laughs> I shouldn't, this isn't riveting television. Oh, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Don't Panic now has a fancy live page and an IRC chat room. Oh, my God. Freenode. So, if you guys want to hop in and chat with us, we will answer. Yeah, so I'm looking at it right now, and there's the three of us and Tom <laughs> and one other viewer. But uh, but it's cool. So look at this. Oh, my gosh. I love this. Yeah. We, cool. We, we hey, look at that. Oh, that is neat. Cool. All right. Well, now that we have that, uh, why don't we move on to our next story? And, guys, I think this is one even you can agree is cool. <laughs> Raspberry Pi is the tiny, cheap computer uh, just America has fallen in love with. I don't go by a single day where my uh, reader feed doesn't have some ridiculous thing someone built with their Raspberry Pi. Well, today's fits perfectly in because how many of you have said, gosh, I want a Media Center PC, but it's just too much work? Well, good news unless you're just going to buy a Roku or a Boxy or any of the other thousand devices that already exist. If you want to build your own, you now can. Raspberry Pi now has an extender kit. 
uh, that makes it fast and easy to install XMBC. Uh, that's what I meant to say. And I was reading it, too, and I still messed it up. Uh, onto your Raspberry Pi. Uh, and it also comes with a RF controller with a small keyboard and touchpad and cables. Uh, this is a separate kit you can buy in addition, um, just to make it easier to generally install for users. That sells for $49.99 here in the U.S. Um, now, I don't know much about Raspberry Pi, but you guys think this is something that's a cool use of the technology? I actually did this before. This was out with XBMC. Uh, it works really well. I have the... Uh... Hello, my face. I have the uh, <laughs> the Model A, which has half the memory of what you would get now, and it still worked pretty well, except if I tried to watch the episodes of Game of Thrones that I totally legitly bought on Amazon the day after. Uh, if you have files like that that are like a gigabyte as opposed to a couple hundred megabytes, it crashes eventually, I'm guessing because it runs out of memory. But you probably won't have that problem with the new one. It works really well. The UI is pretty sweet. Uh, it would be cool to have a remote, but it works just as well with a keyboard and no mouse. Uh, so, yeah. And now, do, like you think, do you think there's a, a distinct advantage to using a Raspberry Pi over something that... Because for, you know, assuming you go with this kit, and the uh, I just wanted to show the controller here. Um, it would help if I had my screen share on. And uh, You mean an advantage over... Over just like doing it yourself. Doing no, it yourself. over just having a Raspberry Pi and putting the software. Well, I guess one advantage is you get that thing. Yes, which I actually think is really cool. So it's a $50 kit, and in addition to getting the software on a, already pre-installed on a memory card and a few cables, this is, to me, the big advantage. It's a trackpad, it's a keyboard. Um, it looks like you get the S an SD card, too. Yep, with the software pre-installed. Yeah, because the normal one is supposed to be $25, but it usually, because the demand is so high, ends up going up to, like, $35, $40. Mm -hmm. So... And then you have to buy an SD card on top of that if you don't have one. So this is a really good deal, assuming that you can actually buy this anywhere. Wait, my, <laughs> does does this kit come with a Raspberry Pi? Or no, it... you have to have oh, already have one. Yeah, okay. sorry. Yeah, uh, that's that's still not bad though, because like if but, you get a Raspberry yeah, yeah. Pi, it's just a Raspberry Pi. You still have to get an SD card and install Linux yourself. Right, like, and assuming you buy both a uh, Raspberry Pi and a Oh my god, the screen share's not working tonight. Nothing is. Uh, if, assuming you get a Raspberry Pi in this kit, you're still about the price of a Roku. I mean, you're not yeah. far out of the ballpark for what these streamer uh, devices go to, but I guess my question is, does it make sense for consumers to look into alternatives like this or just to stick with the mainstream existing Apple TVs, Rokus, etc.? I mean, I don't I don't think the the minor cost saving would be worth it for your average person um, but like if I think for some someone who has like any ambitions of doing something like the cool thing about the Raspberry Pi is you like it's just a computer like you could do anything with it so if you wanted to take it later and and you know make some crazy like wireless car robot or something you know you could do it <laughs> Um, so I guess there's that, like, if you're any sort of hacker, maker, you know, that that sort of... If you, if you put yeah. any of those labels on yourself, 
<laughs> this might be a good decision. Also, to be honest, I, I don't want to. I, I feel like I'm the terrible person here. But if you do pirate a lot of your content, this is the way to consume it because it can play any file that a computer can play. Yeah, there are a lot of advantages to working on a more open uh, system. Yeah, and you can uh, just, you know. And if you ever like go on a website, like I watch a lot of screencasts for, you know, how to do things on like programming languages and stuff. And those are usually just MP4 files on the internet. They're not YouTube. They're not, you know, Netflix. Mm -hmm. So with that, you can just pull it down and play it right on your TV and not have to plug your laptop in and go through all that effort. So that's pretty cool. All right. So that is the. Uh... XBMC Raspberry Pi kit. Actually, uh, I have a quick yes. question. Jump in. Um, does does XBMC support any of the streaming services, or is it just like like can I Netflix on XBMC? No, because DRM. Oh, sadness. Well, I... more Silverlight, more importantly. Yeah. I definitely think this is definitely like a, a torrenter's dream, like you said, Dan. <laughs> yeah. This is if if you have the files yourself, you know, you have that big hard drive network connected in your house. This is the way to go. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, our next entertainment story here of the week. Uh, there was a bit of a I don't want to say a kerfuffle, but there was a bit of a question when uh, Netflix decided when they came out with Arrested Development and before that. Uh, House of Cards, that they were going to release every episode of the season at once, rather than the traditional TV model of doing one a week. Well, Amazon has just begun work on their uh, first original programs, and they've said they will not release all episodes of their original shows at the same time. Uh, this is going to begin with their first show, Alpha House, starring John Goodman. Uh, and they've said they're not entirely set on how they'll put it out, but they have already said they do not plan to release all of them at once. Uh, guys, do you think, uh, what, what's your personal preference? Are you a fan of the uh, all at once, or do you kind of like it uh, spaced out? I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think of this? Who, ha who has it right? Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of having choice. So if I have the time to watch two or three or ten episodes in a night... I would like to do that. I will say that most of the time I don't, though. So, like, and if you're watching these with people, like your family or your friends, uh, chances are that you won't be able to maintain their collective attention for more than a couple anyways. So I think it ends up, you know, falling out to the, the stretch out model. But, you know, it's nice to have the choice. It's nice to be able to watch two a night, you know, like, oh, man, we really have to see the next episode now. You can just do it which is really cool. Yeah, I, I like that too. Like, I like options. Because, you know, we know what's going to happen is with the, this, whatever this Amazon thing is, if I do want to watch it, I'm just going to wait until they're all out. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be really good programming for me to sit and wait. Oh my gosh, it's Tuesday night, so-and-so. You know, in the age of the internet, time really is much less of a factor yeah. um, when yeah. stuff comes out. It could come out at 3 in the morning and it doesn't really matter. So uh, in an on-demand culture, it's tough. I guess the only advantage to doing it week by week um, or however they're going to do it is just to generate a lot of 
a little buzz over a long period of time instead of a lot of buzz shortly. Like when Arrested Development came out, they had just constant press for about four or five days and then nothing. Whereas a traditional TV show, or hypothetically this, assuming it's good enough to get attention each week, would get news stories every single week for several months. Hmm. And I guess that's the advantage to, to doing it that way. Netflix, I guess, just doesn't uh, care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to see, like, I'm sure Netflix has, like, numbers on this. Like, I think it would be really cool to see if they released that, like, how people watch shows. I, I'm That's probably something they want to keep to themselves. But, like, you know, maybe they know something we don't. Um, but, I don't know, it'd be cool to know. Maybe I'll yeah. have to try and work at Netflix someday. You know, and there's there isn't a story about this in our rundown, but uh, I guess I'll talk about it anyway. Uh, it's really interesting because... Um, Orange is the New Black, which is the new show that just premiered on Netflix this week. Um, before the episodes were even available to watch, they renewed it for a second season. Now, they haven't specifically said why, but the general consensus in the tech community is that Netflix is so good at their algorithms that they can actually predict how many people are going to watch a show even before it airs and know whether or not, based upon early buzz, whether or not they should renew it for a second season. And that plays into exactly what you were saying, Colby, which was that um, the numbers Netflix is pulling out of these things, it's such a fascinating experiment on the idea of television and doing it weekly, monthly, all at once. Um, And they're collecting so many points of data that they are able to predict these things. And, for example, Hemlock Grove, another Netflix original, got a second season. The first season, critic-wise, was panned, but... Uh, insiders have said that it didn't get a lot of viewership, but it got such a specific, narrow viewership they can sink their teeth into Mm. that they were willing to give it a second season, even though a million people weren't watching it. It was still a dedicated enough group that they were willing to give it a second season. I mean, that's really cool, though. I mean, for them, if you think about it, though, like, that that number of people who will come back and watch it, that translates to, like, an exact dollar value for them. But does it because would those people otherwise not be signed up for Netflix? I I mean, I'm sure they've they've considered something like that. But I, I feel like that's the, the idea behind having this original programming, right? To get, like... To give some to get new subscribers to stick around, is it new subscribe? I mean, I think it's both. Maybe. I feel like I feel like if you're paying for Netflix, you're unlikely to stop. Like, yeah. well, I don't know if that's true. And you know, again, this data is so specific. They can say, Dan, three percent of your monthly fee is paid towards NBC Universal's deal, and five percent is paid towards our original content. I mean, they can narrow it down so much that they can say, okay, Dan watches 70% of what he watches is Netflix original content. He is a user who we care about, and we want to make sure he gets original programming. So I think traditional TV, unless they sit there and watch what you're doing, cannot get the kind of data you get with a streaming service like Netflix. That's a good point. But 70% of what I watch is actually Star Trek Next Generation. So. And you know what? And next time, if there are enough people like you, they're going to be willing to pay more for it because they can quantify it. That's a good point. I love, I love big, big data. data. Oh, I love it. I am, I am a charts and graphs guy. There's data everywhere. I, I love it. 
Man, okay. that would be amazing. They must have some cool dashboards at Netflix. Oh my god, yeah. The amount of data they have and the algorithms and Yeah. Alright. Well, um we have a couple other stories in here on technology, but I didn't want to or on uh, entertainment and technology, but I didn't want to go too long, so unless you guys really want to talk about one of the other two stories, um we can move on to our stories of the week. Okay. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Consensus, I love it. All right, um, I am going to jump in and do mine first because uh, I'm mixing and I decided that. Um, And mine is about the rumored, uh, well, okay, I say rumored, basically known uh, phone, the Moto X. Now, this has been probably the most leaked thing of the last two weeks. Um, A day doesn't go by where a video, a photo, descriptions isn't leaked. Um, And while it does have a lot of the usual features, any smartphone now has, uh, and a few unique ones. What was important to me that I found interesting was this idea of the customization of the phone. Now, again, it hasn't been announced. We don't know for sure, but the general consensus is that users will be able to, when ordering the Moto X phone, customize it to their personal taste. Again, we don't know to what level, but it's believed it could be anything from colors of the backing or of the bezel to engraving on the back to different textured backs, to different uh, materials of the back, storage sizes. Um, The ad that they ran for the first time, they've made it clear it's designed by you. Um, And to me, I think this is really interesting because I think this is something I'm surprised it's taken this long to come up with. Um, This idea that you can customize your phone because we've had, you know, mail order computers for how long? The computer I'm using now, I built. I picked what I wanted in it, I picked what color I wanted on it, and they sent it to me. And I think people spend so much money putting cheap $5 cases on their just beautifully designed smartphones and make them look ridiculous. And I think for a company to be smart enough to say, we'll give you options so you can choose, but we're not going to let you make it ridiculous, to me, I think that's really cool that, that they can... Um, that they can do this and give users options because, you know, people have complained, oh, I don't like a glass back on my phone because it's slippery. I want something more raised edge or, you know, I want it in red and it only comes in yellow. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think of this? Do you think anyone's going to really care? No. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, well, um, I think you see, like, this whole, I don't know, I guess people might care, but... I see people caring less and less about that. Like it's kind of like the move away from knowing. Oh, my phone has 512. They have way more than that, but whatever. X amount of RAM and so many cores, and it has this many pixels, and the storage is this big. Like the consensus, the marketing consensus, they don't want to focus on that. They want to focus on features. So. I think before, like the old Dell.com days, where you go on, you'd be able to change every part of your computer and put it together. I, I think that's less relevant. And I don't know, like changing, if it's true that it's just changing the back and engraving, and also a factory set wallpaper, whoopty crap. Uh, it sounds very gimmicky. I'm not sure what they could do to turn me around. Yeah, I think, like, you know, I think some people will go for that. And especially if it's a decent phone, like, that'll 
for some people that'll be like, oh, cool, I want my phone to be red on the outside. And, yeah, know, I don't think awesome. people put the cases on to for looks. I think they just, oh, I need to have a case for my phone because what if I drop it? Yeah. And so they just find whatever crappy case for costs the least amount of money and doesn't actually protect them against anything and slap it on. Well, and I suppose maybe we're not the right audience for a product like this, but I just Yet think... again. And, and yeah, go figure. I love when we do these consumer shows because we're kind of lost. Um, I just think in a world where uh, most Android phones are, you know, gray slabs and giant screens that all look the same, I'm just glad to see a company try something no one else try something no one else is doing, like Nokia did with their uh, 41 megapixel phone. Again, That's uh, megapixels. Pick, 41 pick megapixels. Yeah, you didn't hear about this? The Nokia 1020. The sensor is, like, it's huge. Oh, I, I saw a picture. Yeah, but I, I, I like when companies, they pick a feature and they run with it. And they blow it up and they say, we're going to be the best at this. And you know what? If the Moto X is the best at being um, a unique phone to look at, I think that's awesome. So um, why don't we move on to our next story, which is Colby's. Um Ooh. Colby, why don't you tell us about this? Um, so, I feel like this was probably a while ago. This story was actually from last week, and we didn't have time for it. Um, but then, like, there was there was like a, a rocket test in Russia or something, and the the rocket came crashing down to Earth, like, or like, pretty pretty decisively. Um, there was like a YouTube video, but it turns out like, not that this is really funny, but it. It turns out that the re- the whole, the entire reason it happened was a technician. Yes, a technician put in a, some sensors upside down, and it was just like, like just total human error, which it, I thought was funny. And I, take I think offense to that statement. What? But maybe this is for another episode. There's no such total, thing as human error, Colby. Well, yes, and that's so, so. I think that's what I was thinking of when. When when I read the story, um, because obviously the process was not airtight enough that this guy was able to make this mistake that could bring down the rocket. So it it should have been been better. That's, John Oswald's proud of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've learned. I <laughs> I learned my time at Etsy. And I will say, if you haven't seen the video, it's pretty spectacular. You should definitely go watch it. Luckily, there, there was no one in the rocket, right? No, no, okay. it was just a, uh, oh, I don't yeah. know, what, I think Watch it was a video. test or a satellite, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I know, thank goodness. Um, cool, so uh, hot video this week, check it out. Rocket's exploding. Um, all right, Dan, uh, let's, let's, <laughs> br- let's bring out the mad scientist in you and uh, tell me about your story of the week. Okay, so uh, this was maybe even two weeks ago. Uh head transplants, this guy, or a group of guys and gals wrote a paper where they described how it might be hypothetically possible to switch the heads of a dog, whereas experiments have been tried with that before and they didn't succeed, and now they think they figured it out, which, it, and like most science stories, it got blown away out of proportion, but I think it, it's a really interesting uh, philosophical question what would happen if you were to take your head and put it on someone else's body? Uh, would you be the same person? Uh, is that okay? 
why would you want to do that? Uh, just just things to think about. The, the thing that came to my mind was, I actually I read a discussion about it on Hacker News, and one of the interesting points someone brought up is that so many of the things that we consider to be our identity are inform are actively informed by what our bodies are telling us. So like, how you know, are we feeling bloated? Are our feet hurt? Have we exercised today? Like that all feeds into your identity. And if you were to just like rip all that off and replace it with different signals immediately, would you would you change immediately? Like people change over time, obviously. Their personalities and identity change. Anyways, thought it was interesting. Hmm. That is weird. Like, imagine if if I don't know, like you got a whole new body, right? And then something that that felt one way in your your original body felt completely different. Like you you, you would see colors differently. Oh no, you wouldn't. Because your head would still be the same. Yeah. But yeah, uh, an interesting thing that I did learn while researching this though is that they have done larynx transplants, which is basically where your voice box is and your vocal cords. Yeah. And you retain your same voice with really? someone else's vocal cords because it's like a sub your voice is like developed subconsciously and is a is a factor of how your brain controls the individual muscles that you don't think about in your throat. So any compatible set of muscles will produce the same voice. Fascinating. Yes. Fun fact, fun fact. <laughs> Use that at your next cocktail party. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> Dan will not steal your head. Okay. Uh, with that being said, uh, let's move on to our picks of the week. That's right, each week. The three of us think about what we've been up to and what we've been using, and we pick out something so awesome we want to share it with the world. And this week we're going to go in order and we're going to start with uh, Colby, then go with myself and end with Dan. So Colby, um, tell us about uh, Brewster. All right. So um, if if you've watched any of the other picks of the week, you, you guys probably know that I'm, I'm really into stuff that, like, aggregates data from, like, different social networks and things into one into one canonical reference of stuff. So Brewster basically does that for your address book. So you hook in your Facebook and your LinkedIn and your Twitter and it it can you can you can give it like access. You have to download like a certificate, which is weird, but you can give it access to your contacts book con to the contacts app on your iPhone. Um, and it basically it downloads, you know, it takes all this data that you have in your in in the contacts app and in your Gmail and on Facebook and it it squishes it all together so you get these like nice like rich unified contacts cards for people you know without having to do any work um, and it's awesome so I I've been enjoying it and it's very like once you once you integrate it with your contacts app like all that stuff gets put into your contacts app so you have the autocomplete on your iPhone and it's it's nearly seamless you almost never have to open their app which i don't i don't know if that's good for them or not but but it works for me it's great so um give it a shot if you if you if you uh 
I don't know if you're cool with sharing sharing your friend's information with <laughs> a third party company. Cool, awesome, yeah. I've been looking for a way to uh, to better do my contacts. They're a disaster, so. Yeah, man. Hopefully, this. I once went on my old Android phone in HTC Sense. I actually went through and manually added every single person's Facebook profile to their contact, and then they all got erased when I switched to the iPhone. So. <laughs> Maybe I'll give this a shot. As long as they make it easy, that's awesome. So that is uh, Brewster.com. When I saw that, I thought it was like some kind of beer thing. but uh, Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't understand the name choice. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe they were drunk when they came up with it. Who knows? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's some sort of inside reference. All right. Well, for my pick this week, uh, how many times has this happened to you? That's how I do every pick. How many times has this happened to you? You're sitting there and you say, gosh, I have this AVI file, but I need it to be an MP4 file. But also, I need to download a YouTube video and then convert it to an MP3. Uh, but I also need to take and upload this MP4 into Flash and upload it to YouTube. Now, I probably named off about 20 different pieces of software, right? Right. Wrong. Damn. Again, Colby, wrong. <laughs> No, because we have the incredible technology of DVD Video Soft, Whoa. which is probably one of probably the software on my computer I use the most. Quite honestly, uh, it is freeware that anyone can download, and it is over 50 apps included in this one bundle. Now you can download each individually or all together in one big pack. I recommend the big pack because you never know when you'll need them. But for example, when I'm converting this show into the mp3 version I use the software because they have a uh, mp4 to mp3 converter they have a YouTube to mp3 converter if I have to download a song off of YouTube YouTube a YouTube download they have uh, converting videos to audio and audio to videos in every format you can imagine putting YouTube burning it straight from YouTube to a DVD a YouTube uploader um, call video recorder from Skype. I mean, I don't even know of some of these because they keep adding them before I have a chance to um, even check them out. So, I mean, it's, you know, video for different phones you can convert, um, audio to flash, MP4 audio converter, um, I mean, free image resize, DVD video burner, disc burner, and it's all free. It's all free, and it's not spyware. I've been using this for years, and it is probably one of the most um, effective pieces of software, and I recommend it's like a Swiss Army knife. If you do anything with audio or video, um, you never know when you're going to need this, and it comes in a lot of handy. So, uh, dvdvideosoft.com. Big recommendation from me. Cool. All right. Uh, Dan, take us home. All right. Uh, so... Have you ever found yourself really bored and wanting to watch some screencasts about programming? <laughs> well, if that's Sean you... Says no. Well, Sean... Maybe I will, though, so tell me more. Yeah, I will. <laughs> so there's this website called Peep Code, which is a really strange name, but they have these ridiculously well-done screencasts about... Uh, initially about technical topics, but they have one I'm really looking forward to watching about building your career in software... Uh, so they have screencasts from specific technologies like specific JavaScript frameworks, uh, you know, Ruby on Rails, specific databases. But 
honestly, what I enjoy most, they have these things called play-by-plays, which is the uh, guy who makes these screencasts sits down with some famous programmer at a laptop, and he, like, gives him a problem to do, almost like an interview question, a little bit more involved than that. They're usually, like, an hour and a half to two hours, and just records everything he does and, like, interrogates him, like, why did you do this? What is that tool you're using? Uh, why did you make this particular decision? So they're really cool. Aaron Patterson is great. He's one of the uh, Ruby core developers. Uh, I think that's the only one. Oh, uh, there's a Gary Barnhart one here around here somewhere, too. Uh, really cool. I watched the Elixir one yesterday, which is really awesome. Oh, the Aaron Patterson and Corey Haynes is also well done. So it's two at once. Uh, really entertaining. The Elixir one is done with the guy who wrote the language. So you get all sorts of insight into how that works. They're kind of pricey. I think they're like 9 to $12. Or you can pay $200 to have them all. But I don't, I'm not interested in all of them. Although there are a lot of play-by-plays. But it's really cool. But they're really well done. You can download them in all formats, stream them, uh, iPad, iPod. Really cool. So check them out. And that is at peepcode.com. Peepcode.com. That's awesome. I, lo- I love a well-done screencast. So, um, And if it's on a subject you care about, that's outstanding. Cool. Very good. Good picks. Check them out. Um, well, that, uh, unless either of you have something you specifically want to bring up or plug? We already plugged the new live page. Yes. Oh, yeah, we did. And I'll, and I'll plug and, the, the... And the new domain. Yes, the real yeah. actual page, um, which is uh, don'tpanic.io, um, and there you will find archived the audio and video of all of our podcasts, um, usually posted two to three days after they air live, because uh, I work for a living. Um, and there is also this fantastic new Listen Live link, which is live, uh, don'tpanic.io slash live.html, and we'll include a link to our live episode and a chat room where you can interact with us as we do the show. Um, be part of it. Uh, we recommend it. Um, and again, always check out our After the Fact. Um, with that being said, um, I believe that is the end, and this is our last All East Coast edition. Yeah. Of don't panic as Colby heads out to uh, the the Big Apple, the Windy City. <laughs> it's the, like that except San Francisco. The, the, I'm actually the, I'm leaving in eight hours. Are you? When's your flight? It's early, eight. Oh, you got an early it's flight. Eight thirty. Yeah. Wow. So and when do you start work? Not till the Nine. July 29th. <laughs> oh, oh, so you yeah. have some time out there to get settled. you got to get in your place. Yeah, I have to find a place. I don't have a place. <laughs> and then get into it. Yes. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, we'll all be rooting for Colby, and next week we'll, uh, we'll hopefully see you from the West Coast. We'll see. Indeed. See what happens. Outstanding. All right. Well, on behalf of myself, Dan, and Colby, we thank all of you for watching. Uh, this has been uh, another fantastic episode of Don't Panic. Uh... Again, Tuesdays, 11 p.m., watch us live. Otherwise, after the fact, at don'tpanic.io. But until next week, as we always end the show, I remind you to don't panic and have a good night. (laughs) Signing off.